0: You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller. Uh, here at Meadowbrook, we also, uh, because we take the Word of God very seriously, we believe that like this is authoritative. That that when you read uh, the the pages of of your Bible, what you are hearing is the voice of God, the same voice that spoke the galaxies into existence. And so uh, I'm going to ask if you could please stand to honor the reading of God's Word. We're going to look at, uh, I'm going to read from 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you're using a Bible that's underneath the seat in front of you or the seat that you're sitting on, you can turn open to page 993. If you don't have a Bible, take one of those home, keep it. Well, That's our gift uh, for you. We, We want you to have a Bible. But 1 Timothy chapter 6 beginning with verse 3. it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. By the way, that word pierced in uh, the original Greek is impaled. They impaled themselves with many pangs. And then skip down to verse 17. For or as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set up their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. You may be seated. So uh, we're in this sermon series. We're in week five, uh, pretty hard to believe. And each of oh by the way ushers you can uh, distribute the communion cups. sorry about that um we're going to celebrate communion at the end of the towards the end of the message but i've been doing the sermon series uh christians say the darndest things and i'm just taking phrases uh, that i've heard in the church as a christian and as a pastor and here's one that i've heard and i've heard it just like this money is the root of all evil how many of you have heard that before you know somebody you know you heard somebody say that thank you um and yeah, so so this is just uh, this is another one that we're going to address. you know, uh, is money the root of all evil? Well, according to this passage in Timothy, uh, what you should see right away is that's a misquote. <laughs> like this, like whoever says this I missed like three words. you know, uh, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, not money in of its, of, of itself. money is not evil. it's our love for it. Uh, There was a poll that was done not long ago uh, just based on what people think about throughout the day and one in four Americans think about money uh, most of the day. The other one in four Americans think about their job throughout the day and then there's a segment uh, that doesn't think much about or as much about money as, as they do about other things like Young adults between ages, I believe, 18 and 24, you know what they think about most of the time throughout the day? Relationships. Relationships. And then, uh, and then senior citizens, you know what they think about most of the time throughout the day? Their health. <laughs> their health, actually. Um, now, all of them think about wealth or money or, or, or something along those lines, um, but, but as far as what consumes their thinking throughout the day... Um, at least half of the, of, the, of the Americans think about work or money. All of them, all of those polled, think about retirement. You know, how, uh, am I going to have enough to retire? Uh, there's a principle in the in the Bible, just so you know, of of saving your money and investing money. Like that, that's a principle in scripture. We see that. You can go online onto our website later this week and download my manuscript. I have verse references for that. We don't have time to go into those. But there is a principle for saving and investing. There's a principle for hard work, like we should work hard in, in what we do. Like working hard is not a bad thing, it's a, it's, it can be a really good thing. But, um, but the love of money, in verse, verse 10 of uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, the love of money it, literally, the, this word love means the affection for silver. So the affection for silver. Um, is the root of all kinds of evil and so i just want to unpack this for you a little bit so so really i got two two things that we glean from scripture one is that the gift is not the giver the gift is not the giver and what do i mean by that well let me share a story how many of you have ever been to 5280 burger bar in colorado anybody um yeah my family I was surprised, I was surprised though, uh, in the first service there were several that had been there before. There was one in particular who was with me when I said, are they not the best burgers you have ever eaten in your life? And he's like, yes. So the rest of you are like, what? It's close to lunch. Why are you showing me pictures like this? (laughs) Like, yeah, I'm not going to listen to you preach. Now I'm hungry. Um, This is a picture from their uh, website. Uh, This is 5280 Burgers. Man, they are so good so good. We celebrated the birthday of a friend of ours who just turned, actually today she turns 100 years old. And so we drove down to Colorado. She was a part of the church that I pastored originally. And then she followed me, her and her family followed me when I started Missio Day Fellowship in Colorado. And so we've just remained friends. And, and she celebrated her birthday. But you know what? It was in Westminster. And we knew, like, okay, we're in Westminster. We're going to 5280 Burger. And we got a gift certificate, from, a gift card from friends of ours, and we were like we're living large. So here's what you need to know about 5280 Burger. Like I'm not getting any money from them. Like they didn't say endorse our our burger place so people can drive an hour and a half from Cheyenne there, and we'll give you money. They didn't. None of that happened. But you can you can upgrade the meat in the burger. Like you you get the like top of the line beef for the burger, and then you can for six extra dollars. You can. I always forget what the call. It. What is it called? Yeah, Wagyu. Anybody hear of Wagyu beef? This is. I don't know. I heard this, but they give the cows wine, um, so they're all chill and relaxed. And then, like, and then you know what happens after that. So that when you eat the burger, it's really like great. And so we all we went all out yesterday because we had a gift card, and, and we're like, okay, boys. You can, you can upgrade. It's six extra dollars per burger to upgrade. You can upgrade. So we all upgrade, all of us. And uh, their french fries are hand-cut, and the ketchup is from Colorado, and you're like, oh, stop, Pastor Keith. Um, now, somebody actually asked Seth this. Um, if Because I always pick on Nathan. So he's our oldest son. I'm going to pick on Seth this time. But like, if Seth... If you asked Seth about his experience of 5280 burger, and he said, "Oh, it's amazing, it's great." And you knew like it meant the world to him that he wanted the 5280 burger. But then it just became apparent to you that he loved the burger that he ate of at 5280 burgers more than he loves his mom and dad, you would think something's wrong with him, right? That something's off in our family or something's not right. Why? Because clearly Seth uh, would have been confused. Like, if that was his thinking, clearly he would have been confused about who the or what the gift was and who the giver was. He would not have 5280 burgers if it weren't for his mom and dad, right? We gifted him the burger. Why? Because we love him. And uh, you would think, man, that's just so weird that you know, like something happened. Maybe he suffered a traumatic brain injury, and now he's confused that burgers are the source of his life, not his mom and dad right now. Um, you would think that because like nobody thinks like, the, like a, the burger that you got from somebody who made it is better than the person who made it or provided it. Or they shouldn't think that way. And here's, what, here's the thing. Why do I share this illustration? Okay, you can move the slide. I know it's torture. Um, here, here's the thing. We do that with material stuff. We do that with are with wealth. We do that with money. We confuse the gift and the giver, and we, and we elevate the gift above the giver. Like The reason why you got up this morning was because God allowed it. According to the scriptures, we, we believe that. You are breathing today because God has gifted you life. You, you've got strength in your body because God has gifted you life. Um, and, and, and what we learn from, from the Bible is that money is not inherently evil, it's what we do with it. Like T- Tim Keller, a pastor in Manhattan, said that, this, that money or that the heart is an idol factory and what we do, what we have a propensity of doing, we take good things and we make them into ultimate things. Most idols are not a golden calf or, or some big statue that people bowed it down to. Most idols are good things that we make ultimate things. You know what we can make that is good into ultimate things? We can do that with our children. We can do that with a job. We can do that with uh, the place you work. Um, there are a lot of things that we tend to do that with. You can certainly do it with money. And Paul urges Timothy, who was a pastor in this place called Ephesus, the city of Ephesus, he urges this young pastor, who's probably in his early thirties, he said, "You need to warn the people that you're that you're shepherding of the dangers of money, and, and it's not inherent in the money; it's inherent in us. Like we are what makes it dangerous." And so he starts off in in, in verse three by warning about these false teachers. Why? Why did they go astray? What was the root of their Straying—it was their love of money or their love of uh, uh, of material things. Like somewhere along the line, they 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 traded in their contentment with you know in God or their contentment in Jesus for contentment in filling their pockets, like what that brought. Um, I yeah you know, I had this uh, conversation with uh, somebody who belongs to the, this cult in Cheyenne, and it's not just Cheyenne, it's actually uh, in South Korea and other places, called the Mother of God Church. Um, I call it the Mother of God cult. Probably not the best way to lead into a conversation with somebody who belongs there. And, I, and I'm learning. i I got to do better. Um, I encounter somebody at King Supers and, and I say this to my shame. I'm not saying this because look at me. Uh, I was my my soul was was um, provoked when I went into King Supers and I saw this person try, proselytizing the different people in King Supers about the Mother of God thing and and so she was talking to her name's Tiffany you can pray for her so Tiffany was talking to um, another young lady and so I just I just went back to my my street evangelism days not always the best tactic of sharing the gospel and. I said, "You belong to the Mother of God cult," like in the middle of like people walking around, and and um, and I thought about some of the when we had a long conversation. I thought about some stuff that we talked about. Like she, she said, "Clearly, we're not going to come to any point of agreement." I'm like, no, we won't. But I'll pray for you. And and what I thought about as I walked away is that here's here's something characteristic about cults, and this is what you need. To, this is important because. You're going to encounter these people. Um, what's characteristic of cults is, is, is a number of thing, things. One, they always have some secret information or secret knowledge that nobody else in church history has discovered. And they just want you to know about it. Like, nobody else saw this in the Bible, but we have. And, and until you come to terms with this, you will never, you, you, you'll go to hell. Um, that's one. The other thing is that you've got to do, 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 do to maintain your salvation. So the reason why their version of preaching is going to King Supers, Walmart, and other public spaces because if they do not preach regularly, they'll go to hell. And if they do not gather on Saturday in their place called Zion, which is a, a, an involved kind of an all-day event for them, if they, if they miss that regu- regularly, I can't even say the word, if they miss that repeatedly, they will go to hell. And um, she's trapped. The people who fall into this cult, they're, they're trapped and, and deceived. And, 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 but the other characteristic of, of a cult or false teachers is, is a, the organization is looking for ways to fill its pockets, to fill its bank account. Turn on the TV on Sunday, on TBN or whatever, and you will discover false teachers who are filling their pockets. I'll name a few: Kenneth Copeland, who feels like God, you know, that God's called him to have his own jet. You know, these are false teachers. Paul says, these people are false teachers. But then he goes on, then he goes on to say, but what about the congregation? What about the people you're shepherding, Timothy? Okay, guard them against these false teachers, but what about them? And he says in verse 6. Godliness with contentment is of great gain, meaning you, each and every one of us was brought into this world naked, and each and every one of us is going to go out of this world the same way, right? We're, there are no what? U-hauls behind hearse, right? You're not taking it with you. And, um, and so in fact, Job said, after he lost everything, we, lo- we looked at this two weeks ago, he said, "Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return." And his response to everything that he lost, and Job was really wealthy, said the Lord, gave, the Lord gave, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. There are actually examples in the Bible of very righteous individuals who were very wealthy. Abraham was wealthy, Job was wealthy, and the New Testament, there was a guy by the name of Philemon. There's a little letter written to him by the Apostle Paul who was wealthy. He had a nice home, he used it to bless the church. He was wealthy. Um... So over and over again, we, we, as I read through the Bible, it's not the it, wealth in of itself is not what's evil; it's what we do with it. And Paul goes on to say in verse nine, um, but those uh, yeah, but those who desire to be rich, those who chase after wealth, fall into temptation. Well, what, what does that look like? Well, it's a snare, okay. Well, then what does that lead to? Into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Do you know what money is? Money can be a good thing. It could also become a very destructive thing. And when I say money, I'm talking about material stuff. I'm not just talking about the green stuff in your wallet or in your purse. It is like the water in the ocean. So if you're on a boat somewhere and you, there's no land near you, and uh, you don't have anything to, any clean water to drink, do you know what will happen if you drink the ocean water? Well, not at first. You'll become more thirsty. And then if you keep drinking it, your thirst will become insatiable, like you, you just won't be able to quench it. And then, then you'll die. And money can be like that. Striving after it, you know, pursuing it, like, this is the goal in life, I want to be rich, and if I get there, I'll have life. And, all, and what Paul's saying is, where that leads to, is it leads to destruction. That's, and he said, that's what happened with these false teachers, that's what, that's the danger that the people in your congregation, Timothy, face, and, and, and so guard your heart against it, and and, call, and, and encourage them to guard their hearts against, against that. Because it will lead to, according to verse 10, all kinds of evils. And, and Paul continues in verse ten, um, "It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith." Well, why would they do that? Because anytime you trade in your satisfaction in the God who gifted you those things, and make a god out of the things that He has gifted you, you wind up turning your back on Him. And you might not say it overtly, but you certainly might. You'll certainly wind up living that way. And they've pierced impaled themselves with many pangs. Where does the love of money lead to? A dead end? What does it do for relationships? Have you ever known somebody that really loved their money to the point of, like, I've done a lot of funerals uh, as a pastor. Uh, I've uh, interacted with families who had, who've had a falling out with each other over what? Money. What are we going to do with the inheritance? Who's calling the shots? Why are, they, why are they deciding this? Why are they deciding this? I'm not talking to them. It even happened in my own family. Um, and so it can, it can lead to all kinds of stuff. And so Paul says, guard your heart against that. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6. Let's read this together. Ready? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other, you cannot serve God in money. There's only room for one Lord in God's economy, and that's him, right? Um, You cannot chase after both. Um, That's how, that's why, I mean, we don't have time to talk about false teachers. Maybe that's uh, down the road sometime Uh, we'll we'll address that, but if you want to be able to mark out a false teacher, if you want to, if you, if you listen to somebody preach and they're talking about how they are supposed to be rich, that's a false teacher. And, uh, and people have wandered away from the faith because of money. Um, in Acts chapter 17, we read these words about God. that The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands. Meaning he doesn't need anything. Like he doesn't need your help, he doesn't need you to 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 do anything for him. He is the all sufficient one. That's a is you know, he's all sufficient in and of himself. He is the author of all things. He says so he doesn't need anything since he himself gives all of mankind what? Life and breath and everything. He gives you life, breath, and everything. Uh, which leads me to the second thing that we learn from this passage is that the giver is the gift. The giver is the gift. Like God is a, a benevolent, loving God. And, um, and the fact that you're here today is testament to that. It doesn't matter what else is going on in your life, you're alive. You know, you, 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 there are some good things that are happening in your life. Um, maybe not everything is good, but you've got some good things that are happening in your life. The giver is the gift. That's the point. You know, the the, the you know, not the not your bank account is not is is he. That's not the giver and. And your car is not the giver, and and your children are not the giver. Maybe some of you think that is it is God who's given those things to you, and the reason why He's given those things to you is because He has offered Himself to you. Like He, said, this this is me, and I love you, and I want you to enjoy who I am, and and here's the ways that I've blessed you so that you can know me. Which turn our attention back to to Abraham for a second. Like Abraham was a wealthy guy. Right, he had everything. And if you, you know, have been here through the sermon series, I talked a little bit about Abraham. And if you don't know anything about Abraham, here's what you need to know: Abraham was lived in the city of Ur with his wife Sarah, and God said, "Hey, you're going to be my man. I want you to leave the city of Ur, and you're going to go. I'm going to direct you to a city that I'm going to show you eventually. And listen, Abraham, even though you don't have children right now." I'm going to bless you, you're going to have a child, and through that child all the nations are going to be blessed. It was like a foreshadowing of of this promise of a deliverer that God would bring, and he would do it through Abraham's gene pool, through his bloodline. So Abraham left the city of Ur, and he did what God told him to do, and and as we read the story, guess what happens regarding a child? Nothing yet, (laughs) right? So, and God repeatedly reminded Abraham, I'm going to bless you with a child. I'm going to bless you with a child. Abraham was like, Where's that child? Sarah was asking, Where's that child? God's like, Don't worry about it. I'm going to bless you with a child. In chapter 17 of Genesis, God said, I will bless you with a child. It is not going to be dependent on anything that you do. I'm going to bless you with a child. Abraham's like, How is this possible? I am 99 years old. And you're telling me a year from now I'm going to have a child? I'll be hundred, and Sarah, my wife, she'll be like ninety. Like ninety-year-olds don't have babies. Last time I checked, even in those days, right? So somebody's like, "No, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, like it's painful, and it would it should have killed Sarah. It didn't. And so, uh, so God, uh, so Abraham even laughed, and then he was blessed with a child, right? A year later, like it happened. And it was a miracle. Now I want you just to just for a moment put yourself in Abraham's position. I don't know how many of you have had dreams, like dreams like dream, aspirations in life. Abraham and Sarah their dream was that they had a, that they would have a child. All their marriage they longed for a child. And and there was no child. They even tried to take matters in their own hands to just Get a child through Sarah's uh, servant. That didn't go well. God said, no, it's going to be through you and Sarah. And so, and he blesses them with Isaac, their child, their only child. All the promise of God is dependent upon this child. Then you come to Genesis chapter 22. And, and it's in Genesis chapter 22 we're introduced to another name of God, by the way. And in Genesis 22, I want you to listen to this. The words are not on the screen, but it's in, it's in Genesis 22, verse 2, if you're tra- taking notes. It says, take your son. This is what God said to Abraham. Take your son. That would have been enough, right? Like, don't rub it in, God, but God rubs it in. Take your son, your only son, Isaac. I'm not talking about Ishmael, who's the, the other child that came through another woman. No, I'm talking about the one that, you and, that I brought through you and Sarah, take your son, your only son Isaac, and then he even goes further, whom you love. Well, what do you want me to do with this child, Lord? Well, I want you to go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains in which I tell you. What? <laughs> like, what did I eat the night before that I'm hearing this thing, <laughs> right? Right? So what did Abraham do? He got up the next morning early, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. I don't know if there was any conversation with Sarah. Like, what was that like? Where are you going, honey? Oh, uh, fishing. <laughs> like, like, I, I, I'm not sure he would have told her. I'm going to go kill her son because God told me to. Like, I don't know what went on there, but imagine the turmoil that Abraham must have experienced in those moments. And so they get to the place where God showed them, and he tells his two servants, stay here with the donkey, this is verse 5, I and the boy will go over there, and we're going to worship, and we're coming back down. It's easy to miss, but what Abraham, Abraham would not have said this in Genesis chapter 17. He had gotten to a point in his life and his experience with the Lord that he was at a point of complete and total surrender. God promised me this child. He said he was going to do it. Now he's telling me to go slaughter him. I don't know how he's going to do it, but if I go through with this, which I'm planning on it because he told me to do it, He's going to do something where that child comes back down with me alive. He'll resurrect him if he has to. So Abraham takes Isaac and he prepares the place of the sacrifice. And we don't know how old Isaac is, but he was old enough to put two and two together and realize there's something off here. He says, uh, Father, um, I see the fire. I see the wood, see the altar, but I don't see the ram. I don't see the the, the lamb. I I don't see anything that should be on there. And so Abraham said, well, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And then he ties his son up and prepares him as the sacrifice. I would have been running if I were Isaac, um, so, testament to, to Isaac's, I guess, faith in his dad? I, I don't know. But but you got to understand, uh, when he tied his son up on the altar, and uh, he would have had a knife, some kind of sharp object, and he would have placed that to the throat of his son. And it was at this point in the story, it's as if he are, uh, the trigger's already pulled. And just probably seconds, maybe a second before he slit his son's throat for the offering, because that's what you would do to the lamb, you would slit his throat. God said, do not lay a hand on the boy, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Do you know what's going on here in the story? It's not that God's some mean cranky old man that was jealous of Abraham's love for Isaac that's not going on in this story at all what's going on here is here's this child that Abraham and Sarah longed for all their lives and was he going to hold on to this child with a clenched hand with clenched hands or was he going to hold on to this child with open hands realizing this is a gift Lord that you have given to me and it is yours to take and I will enjoy this gift and I will cherish this gift as a gift from you, but if you take it from me, I'm okay with that. And you know what he did after that event? After this event, he names this place um, Jehovah-Jireh, Yahweh-Jireh, the Lord will provide. What is the place in your life that you need to name Jehovah Jireh. You know, we come across a story like this. We read, and we read, you know, in reading 1 Timothy chapter 6, what is it that God is asking you to lay on the altar? That gift that he's given you, he's asking you to lay on the altar. I don't know what it is. You do. Is it a job? Is it, is it a relationship? Is it, is it a bank account? Is it a... Is it, what is it? Only you know, and only the Lord knows. But the danger that Abraham faced is that he could have made Isaac an idol. He could have made a good thing into an ultimate thing in his life. The danger we face, especially as Americans, like regardless of where you're at on the spectrum of you know, your income, we are blessed compared to the rest of the world it would be very easy for us to make an idol out of the things that, that God has gifted you and gifted me. And it's in this, in, back in First Timothy chapter 6, it's in First Timothy chapter 6 that I believe Paul gives us um, a remedy, I guess, or offers some help in, in, in guarding our hearts against, against like, especially the love of money. And he says it here in verse 6. In verse 6 he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. What is he saying there? He's saying how you live your life in light of who God is will last eternity, not how big your bank account is. In fact, I said this in the first service. 30 years from now, after your, or 30 years after your death, hardly anybody's going to know who you are. Like Paula is 100 years old today. I, I share with, you know, we were talking about this before we prayed as a family last night. and I just How many people are you ever going to meet that celebrated their 100th birthday? Probably not anybody else. Like, this, this is probably the, Paula's probably the only person you will have known that lived to 100. There might be maybe one other person in your life. Um, but, a, but 20 years from now, hardly anybody's going to know who Paula is. She's the sweetest, godliest person I know on planet Earth. But God knows her, and the way she lived her life for the glory of God, that's what matters. And, and what matters is what God knows of her. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Contentment in what? Contentment in the God who gifted you what He's gifted you with. That your contentment is not in what's in your wallet or in your bank account or the job that you have or your skill set or your, or your personality. Your contentment is, is in the one who put air in your lungs this morning. Your contentment is in the one who allowed you to get up. Your contentment is, is in the one who loved you so much that he sent his one and only son to die in your place so that, you can, so that your sins could be forgiven, so that you can have life. And then he goes on to, see, to give us a, a little more here in verse 18 of Timothy chapter 6. He says, they, he speaks to the wealthy here. How, how, how can the wealthy guard against um, making a good thing into an ultimate thing, There to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Now we're not talking the political baloney that's going on out there, like the wealthy should give a certain percentage. That's not what's being said here. It's just recognize that what's in your bank account is put there not, not, not just to make your life better, but to bless others. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the, future so, you know, for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. There's a principle in the Bible, um, and the principle is tithing. Have you ever heard of it, tithing? Now, this is not a speech on why you should give the men a brook. I don't care what you do with your money, to be honest with you. Um, I don't see what people give. I don't care. I don't want to know. Um, but there's a principle in tithing or in the Bible, called tithing. And, it's a, and tithing literally means 10%. And the reason why it's put in there is because God knows our hearts. He knows that we can take good things and make them ultimate things. And what Abraham did is the same thing that God wants us to do, wants you to do, wants me to do with our lives, and that is to recognize that everything that we have is a gift from him. And to hold that with an open hand. Lord, it's yours. Thank you for this. Thank you for allowing me to, to, to enjoy this, but it is ultimately yours. It's yours to give and it's yours to take away. And the principle of tithing is literally means 10%, and that is that you take the first fruits of all that you have and a portion of that goes back to whatever God is doing in the world. Uh, it could be a 10% into your, you know, back to your local church or to a mission or to whatever, I think. I don't think it has to be just a Meadowbrook. But it's a principle that God has put in the scriptures to free you from falling into the trap of, of loving money above all things. Does that make sense? Um, I believe in this principle so much, and this is not me patting myself on the back, but my wife and I believe in this, so, this principle so much that a 10% um, of what we make goes back to, most of it goes back to Meadowbrook. Some of it goes to other things. That, that God is doing in the world, um, and listen. Like I was sharing this with the first with the first service, I like toys. Like I like I have I cycle. I I I love getting on a bike and riding. Uh, my bike is insured. I just bought new shoes yesterday. I like my shoes. Um, they they weren't really cheap, but the, uh, but I like them. Like God has gifted you certain things to enjoy also. But if we enjoy them at the expense of, uh, uh, of understanding what those gifts really are, that they're a gift from the giver, then, then we miss the point of the gift. And if we understand that it's from him, then it liberates us. And when we're willing to give a portion of that back to him, not because he needs it, but because you're just saying in worship, you're like, this belongs to you anyway. And the fact that I get to enjoy this is amazing. And here's just a portion of it just to recognize, that, Lord, that, that you have blessed us. You know, I was a custodian at a church. When I was in seminary, I made like I think $11,000 a year. Um, we we said we we agreed we're going to continue to tithe, even though we don't know how we're going to be able to pay all of our bills. We paid our bills. We weren't able to eat all the stuff that we wanted to eat. Weren't able to go to certain restaurants that we would have loved to have gone to, and didn't drive the kind of car that we that we hoped that we could drive one day. But God blessed us. And so what is it that God is saying, hey, look, what is your Isaac? What are you going to lay down on the altar? What is it, what is it that the Lord is saying, you need to open those hands, <laughs> and you need to hold them with open hands? Only you know. Jesus said this and in a moment. We're going to celebrate communion. Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where, neither, where thieves uh, do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Like Jesus said that. And Jesus said a lot more about money than he did about other things um, because of the, danger, the dangers of what we can do with money. Um, Jesus is God's gift to the world, right? We're going to celebrate communion. There's a passage in Romans chapter 8, verse 32. Here's the cool thing about this, the, this, this passage in Romans. Um, God told Abraham not to go through with killing his only son, the son whom he loved, But that story in Genesis chapter 22 is really a foreshadowing of what God would ultimately do through his son. See, God didn't hold back. The Bible says God put his son on the cross in our place. He didn't hold back. He went through with it. Jesus became a curse for you and a curse for me. He became your sin. He became our sin. Hours before he would be betrayed, hours before he would be handed over to Pontius Pilate to be crucified, he met with his disciples in an upper room somewhere in somebody's house, and um, he held up the bread as they celebrated the Passover meal together, and he said, This body, or this bread is my body, which is going to be broken for you. Like Isaiah 53 says that um, through Jesus, it's talking of Jesus, speaking of Jesus, that he was pierced for our transgressions, that he was crushed for our iniquities. Jesus said every time you gather together and you break this bread, I want you to break it in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. Romans 8 verse 32 says that he, that is God, did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also give us all things? It's not talking about a bank account. It's not talking about material stuff. It's talking about the right that is yours as a child of the living God after you place your faith and trust in him, after you believe that Jesus lived a life you can never live and died a death that you deserve, that I deserved, and on the third day he rose from the grave. Jesus, in that upper room, said, My blood is going to be shed for you. And every time you gather together and you drink this cup, drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. <laughs> the mortality rate in Cheyenne is the same mortality rate in all in the entire world. It's 100. percent Every single one of us is going to die. Right? Um, you have were born into this world naked. We will go out of this world naked. Um, and, uh, and what matters is, is what God thinks of you. And so, so Paul warned Timothy, you know, just be content in Jesus. Because, because ultimately, um, your salvation is, is what will matter. Your, the forgiveness of your sins is what will matter. And then he goes into Romans chapter 8, and I'm going to close with this. It's such a great passage that the, the, the result of God not sparing his son on, behalf, on your behalf and on my behalf is this. He goes on, it says, verse 33 of Romans chapter 8, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? That's you, that's me, that's the people of God. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, or COVID, or bankruptcy, or whatever it is that you're facing? No, Paul says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And he goes on to say, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills; He's the one who didn't have to, you know, sign his, his or get a copyright for the birds to sing because He wrote those songs. He's the one whose signature is on the the the, the corner of every sunset. He is the one whose image you bear. He owns it all. And he says in Romans chapter 8 that, it's all, that all that is his is yours. It's a result of Christ dying for your sins and being raised on the third day. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for... Your word, thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the greatest news in the universe. Thank you, God, that we don't have to earn our way into heaven. We don't have to do anything to get there. That you've provided a gift that is the gift of your son, and that all who receive him by faith will be saved, will have their sins forgiven, and and you assure all of your children that there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in your son, Christ Jesus. We thank you for that. And anyone watching the live stream or anyone here, Lord, I just pray that these words will settle on their hearts, that all who call upon the name of the Lord, who, those who have never placed their faith and trust in your Son, that all who call upon the name of Jesus Christ will be saved, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe, O oh God, that you raised Him from the grave, that those people will be saved. We thank you for that. And for the rest of us in this room and watching the live stream, thank you that we are yours sons and daughters of the God of all creation. And it's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. Hey, have a great rest of the week. See you Sunday and see you at the Super Bowl thing. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.